0: Amen. Amen. So it's lesson nine, Prophets of God. And, and I've been really nervous preparing this lesson through the week, and I'll, I'll try to share maybe a little insight into why. I think often in the gospel, we paint things in a dichotomy. It's either, you know, us versus them, right? There's cat people right and there's dog people right okay. president bush right you're either for us right or you're against us and we seem to like really paint our lives this way and and I'll just be frank I don't live in that world anymore and where I live things are a little more chaotic and there's a lot more gray area at least for me in my life And so as I prepared this lesson, I totally get it. If I went into a ward where there were 15 converts sitting here or people getting ready for baptism, I would would stick straight with the manual. I would just teach the lesson as it is. But it's a lesson that in some ways I struggle just a little bit with because I think there's more gray area to a lesson than we sometimes paint when we give these really simple ideas or concepts. And so I wonder if somebody will start us off. In fact, we'll just list it. Prophets. And the first question that this chapter starts off with is what powers and gifts do prophets have? And so let's list some of those.
1: The spirit of prophecy.
0: That should, that right, that's like the simple one, right? That's well, part of the word. I that one
1: first. Thank you for pointing <laughs> it out. <Yeah. laughs> I right, could get an answer and try to get a right one before you got to the hard stuff. Okay. The spirit of prophecy. What else? I <laughs>
2: like
1: what does that mean, by the way?
0: That's good, because we're going to separate these. Because these he's all kind so of intermingle.
1: So there's a couple of different interpretations of that. So some places in the scripture, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Oh, I love that. Thank um, you, because that's important. Another thing about the spirit of prophecy is to prophesy, which means to tell forthcoming events.
0: Okay, what else? You said Spirit of Revelation. What is that? To
3: reveal to us what Father wants us to be
0: revealed. I'm going to use a word here because we're going to read the scripture next that's listed in the lesson. God keeps secrets. You guys know that? (laughs) Okay, what else? Seer. A seer? What's a seer?
3: To see a person that sees things that have passed and things that
1: are to come. Somebody so, with
3: perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, it's akin to prophecy, I would say. Yeah.
0: You kind of humanized it a little bit there with that phrase. That mm-hmm. it's somebody with perspective. So there's this well, idea well, of the...
4: Someone
0: who's kind of God's perspective. Sure.
4: Looking not only at the past, not just right now, like most of us live right now, maybe five minutes down the road, but then seeing things in the coming and how it all
0: works together. But just as the spirit of prophecy is used in two different ways, as Brother Calls pointed out, I think this is used in two different ways. I think you hit on this. There's this idea that there's this mystical side, where a prophet is literally receiving a vision into his mind of exactly how this future event is going to take place, right? But there's also maybe the idea of just having this perspective of, of feeling impressions and knowing that whatever, you know, there's a fork in the road and this path may lead to good things and this path may lead to bad things, right? But I love that because there's some nuance to that. What else? So we have seer, past and future, perspective. I
2: just like the word spirit in that spirit of prophecy because you're describing something that is other than what we might be thinking. It's, okay, it's what that prophet, give me some more. It's it's what that prophet may be able to do, but it's by whom he's able to do it.
0: How can you know whether someone has the spirit of prophecy?
2: <coughs> I should be able to go find that out myself. Right. The only way you can you can't know.
0: What anyone else is feeling, or where they're getting their information, you can only know what impressions you're getting, right? Um, there's a scripture, and I think in the Old Testament, where, where God says He wishes all of His children were prophets, right? Does, is it God, in a sense, calling us? Um, who is the ultimate testator of truth within our individual
2: self, right? Okay that's that spirit I think that, that I can just underline that that's I you know I just I think that's the key that is the key right there yeah another one
0: what am I going to say here right here special witness special witness any others am I missing something uh, in the our,
3: go ahead God's mouth okay Yes. And And he doesn't. He's not. I like the analogy of um, God's mouthpiece. He's he's not standing with his back to us, looking at looking at God and the Savior. He's standing with his back to the Savior, speaking. So he's, he's, he's. the mouthpiece,
0: He's the one that the Lord Yeah. And I would only clarify a little bit here. God's mouthpiece to the world. Because I think everybody is being called by God to have the spirit of prophecy within their own stewardship, right? So God, so the prophet is God's mouthpiece to the world. Um, in this dispensation. The prophet is also the president of the church. And keep that in mind too when we say this dispensation, because some of these rules don't apply to every dispensation that we go over.
3: That's why I say some of this gets a little more messy. And are we identifying one person as a prophet? Or are we he identifying talks. the 15
0: people that we sustain as prophets? The lesson talks about that. So okay. we'll wait till we hit on that. Alright. So Amos. Amos 3.7. And, and I should stay stupid. As someone, you guys are all turning to Amos 3.7. You guys all should know this with my heart, hopefully. But um, I would I would make the argument. Uh, we should also add, too, prophets have keys. And on some sense, there's some debate from various quotes in church history whether a prophet is an office or not. But I'll throw it out there so at least we're thinking about it. Um, and also prophets have authority given to them from God. But I would, I would add the caveat when we think about this, and if we were to go back, we, we like to think of prophets like Moses and Noah and Abraham. But if we go into the Old Testament and New Testament and start writing down every single person who serves in the role of a prophet, I would argue that all of them have the right to these capacities, these gifts, these traits, but that not all these gifts or traits or capacities are manifested in the life of every single prophet. Does that make sense? In other words, we can even go in this dispensation, and I would argue that we would have some of our prophets in these latter days who have not seen future events perhaps. But does that disqualify them as being a prophet? No.
3: Okay, Amos 3.7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing but He revealed it, His secret unto His servants,
0: the prophets. We've used that scripture a bazillion times. At least I have. Maybe out here in Utah they don't use that one. I don't know. But your thoughts on Amos 3.7. What does that mean? It's said East- he's...
3: He's going to reveal the secrets that we're not all going to understand right. to the prophets. If God... Whether or not they pass him on to us.
0: Right. If, if God is going to give a message to the world, he's going to do it through his authorized servant, right? And And this prevents chaos both in the church and I would argue within every dispensation where there's been prophets... Because what would happen if we didn't have this kind of um, this kind of idea being modeled? You have
3: know, chaos. You have know, different, different people uh, mm-hmm. with different ideas. And,
0: and some of those ideas might be good ideas. Some of those ideas might even be inspired ideas.
4: Well, that's what's happening in the world, isn't it? Like, you know, there's... You know, so and so they think this and we, we went to a funeral for my, my cousin and these people just decided to study the Bible on their own. And the ideas that they were coming back, back with, you know, Bowen and James and I would just look at each other and it's like, false doctrine, false doctrine. You know, it's just like they, they go so out of the box that they're interpreting scriptures that have nothing to do with what they think, but you know, they kind of relate them simile wise or something. And they're saying that something means something that totally totally off so because they don't have a guide right. they don't they they can't be grounded right. I think. right
0: um if you put a hundred guys in a room a hundred women in a room and you you talk about script we're all going to have different interpretations ideas thoughts meanings but god is a you know he tries to have a house of order and so there's this sense that that it, it would be chaos without somebody at the head of that deeming what is the appropriate thing to do at this point in time and what is not um, and I would say too this again in the scripture surely the Lord God will do nothing but he reveals his secret unto the servants of the prophets I would again add when he wants to give information to the world because I think God gives all of us secrets all the time in our own personal lives uh, Brother Call you are the um, you preside in your home right okay <laughs> Yes. Okay. Give me the... Play along and give me the church answer. Okay. Well, yes. Do you feel
2: like...
0: Do you feel like the Heavenly Father has given you a right to revelation for things in your home when you seek him out in a righteous, worthy manner? I
2: do. Okay.
0: Are some of those things things you didn't know the answer to until he gave them to you?
1: Um... Well, I I haven't really thought about
0: that, but I would assume so. Yeah. Um, The way in which he impressed you to act on something within your home, could that have been very completely different than the neighbor next to you who might have had a similar issue? Yes. And so in some ways, God gives you your own very own secrets from him on how to do things. And as we're all walking around receiving our little secrets from God... Again, it would be chaos if we all said, well, my secret's the best, I'm going to run with this. Okay, guys, everybody follow me, and we all did that. So we have to have a prophet. We have to have someone who's, who leads. In the, the third paragraph here, it says, it says, a prophet is a man called by God to be his representative on earth. When a prophet speaks for God, it is as if God is God were speaking. Now, I like the phrasing of that. We sometimes assume that whenever a prophet talks, He's speaking on behalf of God. You're shaking your head. No. What?
4: What's? Well, whole, when he speaks, and you know, because he's human too, so when he's in his uh, role as a prophet, then you know we need to so that we're not confused. That's 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 coming from God. And when you know you know he's his own little self, it's just like that. You know, just because we overheard something that he said, that you know, we can't. It's like if, if I make a mistake, you know, I'd hate for, you know, my kids would go, oh, my mom, you know, she's, no, you know, she, we're supposed to obey her, yeah, but, you know, it's just like we, we make, we all make mistakes. And even the prophets make mistakes, they're human. Yeah. But, but, but Heavenly Father helps them when they're in that role and, and they're directing themselves to us.
0: Right. How do we discern? How do you discern? So the first quote here is Joseph Smith says that a prophet is only a prophet when acting as such.
1: If you don't mind me making a comment about that, one thing that really helped me understand that is thinking about being in the box at Lavelle Edwards Stadium with President of the Church, whoever that is at the current time, when you're doing the BYU Utah football game, and, and listening to their kind of chatter about the game, you know, oh yeah, that guy this, or you know, what, who's going to do this? I mean, if you just turn and you look at them and say, hey, who's going to win the game? I honestly don't think that God is going to give him that revelation. That that would be like frivolous. And so, so when he tells you who he thinks is going to win the game, that's just him as him. Just uh, you know, I'm going to go with this, you know, this team because you know it's the Lord's University or something like that. But but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's he's received inspiration that God has opened the heavens and he has seen that final touchdown at the end of the game. But he's a seer. Yeah, but it's not about football. (laughs) Okay. Perfectly. I agree. Absolutely.
0: Um, And I think sometimes it gets messy. We sometimes want to draw these lines. We want to say, you know, this is what he is and this is what he isn't. And I just don't think it works that way. Again, I think that we all are responsible to have the Holy Ghost within us to know these things. And so let's read quote number two. Who's got that one? And this was from a conference not too long ago. This was from Elder Christofferson, right? Elder Christofferson, four years ago or so, on on a talk titled
2: The Doctrine of Christ. Please. At the same time, it should be remembered that not every statement made by a church leader, past or present, necessarily constitutes doctrine. It is commonly understood in the church that a statement made by one leader on a single occasion often represents a personal, though well-considered opinion, not meant to be official or binding for the whole church. The prophet Joseph Smith thought that a prophet is a prophet only when he is acting as such.
0: Yeah. And and so there's this idea that, that church leaders make statements all throughout our history, and sometimes those things will conflict with present day where we're at. I'm going oh my goodness oh no everything has to come crashing down that somebody contradicted somebody no I mean there's this idea that the individual statements by leaders are not necessarily binding on church what makes what makes revelation binding on the church usually when it's
1: becomes part of the canon I mean when it goes into doctrine covenants right. or they'll add a little thing
0: up into the Pearl of Great Price or something right. of that nature and what has to happen for it to become canon all the
2: things
0: even beyond that. Has I to we all have to it has to go before a sustaining vote. So you have to have... The prophet has to receive a revelation. All 15 essentially try to be unanimous. They try to practice this idea of unanimity. Then it goes before the entire church. We all raise our hand to sustain it.
3: And along our way, there's with lots of discussion. you got to be careful with that, though, because there are some things, I would say like the proclamation, the family of the proclamation of the world. That's probably pretty... Thus saith the Lord, came down from the 15, men signed it. And we haven't canonized that yet, have we? I, I, not, unless I missed something. So, some things are binding, binding or doctrine, or, uh, you know, what President her uh, Elder Christophson is saying
0: here. Yeah. So let me throw out two thoughts. One is that I wouldn't, I wouldn't debate, we could certainly call the family proclamation revelation from God without saying that it's specifically binding on the church. There may be a distinction to make there. The other thing I would throw out is when President Packer gave a talk um, regarding the family proclamation, he used the word, it's a revelation to the people. When he was done giving the talk, when the talk came out in text format, they had altered that word they had changed it from the word revelation to a guide. It seemed like there was some hesitancy, at least with with the Brethren as a whole at the time, to say, let's, let's use that strong word revelation. And so I'm only throwing that out as just a historical um, piece that plays into that, that President Packer wanted to call it revelation. And the text, when it came out for that talk, it changed that word to guide. And so, again, I'm not saying it isn't revelation. I'm simply saying that, Things become binding when they are canonized. And that it doesn't mean because it isn't canonized that it's not revelation. It's just not binding on the church.
2: I would call it really good advice. Sure. <laughs> because if we look at the word of wisdom, that's not a commandment. Yet it's those words haven't been changed in the Doctrine and Covenants. It's strong recommendations, yet it is part of the church as far as being considered to be temple or now. Right. So, again, some real strong advice. Right. Some, or not strong, some good advice. Well,
1: and, and the Word of Wisdom is actually a good, I think, kind of a good part of that discussion you're having about that because the Word of Wisdom wasn't really binding on the church initially. I mean, you could still be out smoking cigarettes and drinking, you know, moonshine or whatever you want to do until sometime later. It did become, you know, just a, a, a core part of what the church does. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's I mean, that's kind of an interesting comparison with with the proclamation. I mean, I haven't really thought of that. Before. Right.
0: the The very loose translation. Or should I should say that. We say it this way: the really loose general revelation that God gives is section eighty nine. Right. There's these general rules that that are a word of wisdom. Those are canonized, and yet the church certainly applies those rules slightly differently. Maybe more more of a line in the sand, right? There's these things you don't do, these things you do do. And rather than just being a word of wisdom to people, now it's also kind of a measuring stick for being able to go to the temple, for instance, right? And so the church certainly reserves the right to to take revelations and to change how we maybe interpret them a little bit through time, as we become maybe more wise. In fact, Joseph Smith, when he receives each of the revelations in D&C, if you go back and... And, and the Church History Department's published articles in this, Joseph is always revising them. We don't think that. We think, okay, God speaks to Joseph, he writes down Section 4 of the DNC, and he walks away. But the reality is he's coming back every six months, and he's changing a sentence here, and he's changing a word there. Um, one of them is DNC, I think it's Section is it 4, where I talked about this a couple weeks ago on Sunday in Gospel Doctrine, where Joseph talked about the church coming out of the wilderness. His original wording didn't say that, but he goes back and he says, I just, after reading Revelation, I just had this new thought, and this is kind of the the wording I want to use. Joseph is always revising. He's always thinking through these things deeper and and thinking, okay, do I have it exactly right? And I think part of that is because human beings, in a sense, were flawed, and God is working with our own language. He's trying to give us messages, but we're not pure filters. Do
3: you have a hand up on you? So if you go back to the New Testament, where Paul and the other apostles are given speeches, they started out as speeches, right? Before they actually became a New Testament, their scripture. They were just giving a sermon to the people of Corinth, right? Kind of like
0: our ensign today. Sure.
3: Yeah.
0: Sure. And so we've canonized those teachings. Um, I, did, I left it out. There's a quote from Brigham Young where Brigham is asked... And we're getting off topic, too, because so now we're going down into Scripture. But this still plays on the idea of prophets. But Brigham Young is asked by a minister about believing the Bible. And Brigham Young goes, well, do you believe the Bible? And the minister said, ah, every word of it. And Brigham said, well, you're a bigger believer than I am. And Brigham went on to talk about, and we have this in the Journal of Discourses, where he says that, that these are the words of men, the words of God, the words of the devil, the words of prophets. It's just messy sometimes. And so we sometimes want to, you know, read and 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 we take a Scripture and we just want to, like, grab it as every, meaning everything, and sometimes the reality is that there may be a little more room there. There may be people in the room who who believe that scripture to be figurative where you might believe it to be literal. It's just messier. Um, let's read quote number three. This is, now this was the very next conference after Albert Christofferson gave his quote. It's almost like the brethren said, look, we, we tried to help the saints understand that doctrine is not everything a leader says. That didn't get through. Let's go one step <laughs> further. So, please...
4: A few question their faith when they find a statement made by a church leader decades ago that seems incongruent with our doctrine. There is an important principle that governs the doctrine of the church. The doctrine is taught by all 15 members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve. It is not hidden in an obscure paragraph of one talk. True principles are taught frequently
0: and by many. Our doctrine is not difficult to find. We could have an hour talk on just how to define the word doctrine. Um, we could say it's it's absolute truth from God. We could say it's just the current teachings of the church in the present moment. There are lots of ways to even to define that word. But but the point that Sister Mark Arthur makes in the quote that she read is that that there's this idea that it's not just something that a leader teaches over here or a leader teaches. Over here. It's something that all top 15 men are unified on, and things that they're all teaching across the board and
2: there are things that are taught in many different places. We had that discussion one time, uh, and that's what said. To me, uh, there's one doctrine, and that was what Christ said. He said, all men repent and come unto me. Who of, of any of God's children on earth doesn't need that atonement, doesn't need his doctrine? We will find out other doctrines which, by the Spirit, we're led to follow in our individual lives. And they may be, as you said, they may be good for us, but our neighbor next door, it's either not applicable or they don't need it in their life the way we need it in ours. So that's the wonderful thing. But that, that ultimate doctrine that we're talking about is, is He is our Savior. Repent. Whatever way you have to repent, whether it's taking God's name in vain, whether it's having a bottle of wine before you go to church that day or whatever it is, you know, there are all different ways that we need to repent but it's still the ultimate doctrine that that ultimate doctrine is he's our savior we need him we need what he did Uh, sometimes like i think what where where we get messed up is there's so many ways that we need to have that help and so many words that are given that we're seeking for in our life to look for Uh, maybe that magical key or that magical phrase that will help us with that magical scripture but it's got to be all brought into one focus. As who is who is the one that we have to turn yeah. to? You know, that, you know. It doesn't. I don't know. Maybe what I'm saying doesn't make sense. But it's uh, his is the doctrine uh, that we need to seek and follow. Yeah, it
0: does because um, I think often, as Larry day Saints, we like having answers to every single question. Right? We like everything spelled out, right? Give that, give that <laughs> in in the in the eighties and nineties, there was you know, Edward McConkie wrote the book Mormon Doctrine, which was just like a dictionary of answers to every question, right? right. Um, we like that. And as you point out, 2 Nephi 31 talks about you know faith, repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost, enduring to the end, and then Nephi finishes up by saying, This is the doctrine of Christ. This is the only and he uses those words, this is the only true doctrine of the Father. Right? we like to spell it out further and Elder McConkie and Joseph Smith both said that those other things all the other things outside of that pure doctrine of Christ are appendages to the gospel right and like you say, perhaps they're applicable to everyone perhaps they're just applicable to us as Latter-day Saints um, anyway
2: ultimately there are going to be those who don't want that doctrine of Christ they don't care and, and, and that's you know as members of the church we find that sad and we go wow you mean the Savior doesn't matter to you and that's that's where we find it, you know, sad to our hearts. But that's their choice. That is a choice that we have to allow them. Right. We have to allow those those that that room or that of agency to to choose. And, and if we search within our own soul, are there things
0: that we Absolutely. know we should be doing that we put off? There better be. Right. There always <laughs> be. And if you don't think there is, then there definitely is. Right. Yes, sure. <laughs> I
4: have a question. This is. You know, it has to do with the lesson, but not necessarily what we're talking about. Being a convert, you'll have to forgive me for asking primary questions. Um, it says that he holds the keys to the kingdom. Okay, and then when, and no person except the chosen prophet, or president, can receive all God's will for the entire membership of the church. And there is never but one time, but one on the earth at a time, on whom his power and keys of the priesthood are conferred. So, what happens if the prophet dies? Who has those keys, where do they go, and how do they get
0: conferred on to the next person? So the two counselors in the First Presidency get absorbed back into the Quorum of the Twelve, essentially. Now you have 14 men who are set apart as prophets, seers, and revelators, who hold all the keys, but those keys, in a sense, aren't active as long as the prophet is alive. When the prophet passes away, those men lay hands on his head and essentially set him apart, the new senior apostle, as the president of the church. And, And by tradition, it's the senior apostle... There's certainly room within our theology that if the brethren all felt unified to call someone besides that, they could. Um, but those keys rest with the top 14 men after the 15th has passed away, essentially.
4: So it's like the 14th all becomes the
1: vice president. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: they, they, all, so they all become yeah. president. Yeah. So, so, so what,
1: what's interesting is when, when you're set apart to be an apostle, you actually receive all those keys. Right. And so it, it would be. Um, you know, I don't know what what a good analogy of that is, but you know maybe there's some police analogy that, that Rick could <laughs> share with us. But but you know so. yeah. But everybody has the, that authority. All of the twelve. So yeah. right now, if they if they you know kill all of them except one, then that one actually holds all the heat. And in fact, the general authority. Um, off of the court, members of the court of the receive yeah. those apostolic keys. Right. And so there's, they're, they're given, you're just, you don't have that responsibility at that time. Kind yeah. It's kind I've of like being a bishop. You're, you're ordained a bishop. That doesn't mean you're always going to be the bishop. When you're released, I mean, you, you're not the bishop anymore, but you actually still
0: hold are, that office. You hold
1: that office. Right.
0: And, and my, my five-year-old can pick up my car keys. Right? He can hold my keys. He's not authorized to use those. But he could. But he, could, I mean, but he could, I mean, could, but he could pass them on to somebody else, couldn't he? Well, he
1: doesn't have
2: to be authorized. He can just go hop out in the car and... As an unauthorized key holder,
1: <laughs> I some parts. And what does one, Section 121
0: say about those who use their keys uh, without authority? Well, you know? I
1: just crashed into another car. It not really give the <laughs> damnation. But. And I want to touch on something else she hit
0: on, too, there's a, there's a question of what she said that wasn't asked. There's this idea of only one on the earth at a time. I would again remind us that applies to our dispensation. Let me give you an example. Are those men prophets at the exact same time?
3: Yeah.
0: There's another quote in this manual that says that one who becomes a prophet must receive their authority from those from the right authority. Does that
2: make sense? And Samuel and Eli also. Okay. The yeah. Lord was calling Samuel, and Eli was the prophet. He went to get his advice. Go listen. And and we could take people
0: over on you know these continents over here and these over here, and we could probably come up with lots of branches. Yeah. Um, deviations, if you will. And the idea that one again, the manual talks about that you know to be a prophet, one has to be called by the proper authority. Um, and in our minds, we say, well, that means that someone has to be called through the process we've set apart in this dispensation, right? But the reality is, does Jer- so Jeremiah's prophet first, right? Is he even aware that Lehi becomes a prophet? I don't know that our records I show that well. Right, but the, but the the guess is from reading the story that they don't have much direct contact with each other, probably none at all, right? Where is he being called? How, how did he get called as a prophet? Did, the other four, did 14 other men lay their hands on his head? No, God just directly called him. And so we ought to keep in mind simply that there are rules within dispensations, but those rules don't necessarily apply across the board in every dispensation. And sometimes we automatically just want to connect these dots that really aren't there, if that makes sense. So is Lehi not a prophet because there weren't 14 other people who held keys and laid hands on his head? No. And
4: there might have been other prophets that we're just not aware of because we don't have the
0: scriptures. It's possible. I like, I like questions more than I like answers. I do. I think, I think early on in our lives, sometimes we're so dead set on having the answers. And I would challenge us to get to a place where we love the questions. We just love to kind of just swim in them. Because um, the
2: answers sometimes come.
0: That's right. Yeah, and sometimes the answer we thought was the answer, we find out years later, was completely wrong. In what ways have prophets guided God's children in the past? How much more time do we have? God, until
1: three. Straight up was when the class was over.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, how has God guided his children in the past through prophets?
4: Different ways depending on what they needed
0: them. Okay, give me some examples.
4: Moses.
0: Starting with Adam. Moses is pretty extreme. I mean, this is, this is a guy who like, brings plagues down and takes you know the Israelites across this giant body of water, splits it in half. Gets in their side leaves the Israelites for forty years in the desert, feeding them bread that shows up in the middle you know.
2: Oh, and you can call him a murderer too. Yeah, he killed,
0: he killed an Egyptian. Ooh, that's a flawed human being. So what right does he have to be a prophet? That's, right. that's a good point. Let's turn to DNC one. Mm, DNC one. So the very sorry, first. No, no no, no. To no, no, it's perfect. A New Yorker, I'm pretty out good out with him, rolling with so. punches, so. <laughs> This is good. This is this is an excellent section. D and C section one. See if I can pull it up here. The very very first section of D and C. This is God saying, "Look, guys, let, this is gonna this is gonna start a whole lot of stuff. Why don't you guys just start off reading here?" You know. So D and C section one. I'm gonna start with verse uh, 17. Wherefore I, the Lord, knowing the calamity which should come upon the inhabitants of the earth, have called upon my servant Joseph Smith Jr. And spake unto him from heaven and gave him commandments. So here, here's God saying, look, Joseph's my prophet. So start listening. But then he goes on and says, And also gave commandments to others. That they should proclaim these things unto the world. And all this that it might be fulfilled, which was written by the prophets. Now here he sets out not only Joseph, but these others whom he's called. We can debate who these others are. I don't know if this is the time or place. But now he tells you what these others and Joseph, what their traits are going to be like. And so when I try to set my expectations if I say, look, if a prophet falls below this bar, I'm no longer going to believe him, right? So in the DNC, I set my bar for what a servant of God is. Now listen to what God, the words he uses. The weak things of the world shall come forth and break down the mighty and strong, strong ones. I'm going to skip down a little bit. Verse 24. Behold, I am God and have spoken it. These commandments are of me and were given unto my servants in their weakness after the manner of their language that they might come to understanding. So there's going to be some loss sometimes in translation between the revelation and the words we get. Verse 25. And as much as they have erred, it might be made known. They're going to make mistakes. Verse 27, inasmuch as they have sinned, they might be chastened, that they might repent. Prophets are going to be sinners just like you and me. And inasmuch, I love this, verse twenty eight, and inasmuch as they are humble and they might be made they might be made strong and blessed from on high and receive knowledge from time to time. Should we expect revelation just coming right out of their mouth every day? No, from time to time.
4: Rather real because because it keeps us it keeps us in our minds to know where to hold our prophets and not giving a, a, a deity status per se because if we if we don't realize that they're imperfect then you know our temptation is to think that everything you know that they, if they're perfect you know it's it's kind of scary.
0: Is this a high bar? No, I would argue Not it's a so low high. bar.
3: Not so
0: high. No, this is a low bar. God can use any, he can use the weakest things of the world and make make great things come to pass through them. And I love what you said. I wish I would, known you were going to say that because I have a quote at home where one of the general authorities, one of the apostles of the church said something like, there's nothing special about me. Any, any human being in the church, and of course obviously a male, but any male in the church um, could serve in this leadership role. I hold a sacred office there's nothing special about me as a human being, right? God can take any of us and make great things in the past, but He's choosing those people, right?
4: Like you said, if if they're humble,
0: if they're humble, absolutely, and that's humble. the
4: high bar. Yeah,
0: and sh- sh- knowing this bar, should we expect leaders to always be humble? Is it possible someone could be prideful from time to time?
1: does it mm-hmm. might make a mistake and be a sinner, right?
0: right? And so that's why I say for me the lesson is a little more messy because I think the reality is we need to dig in and realize that the bar is a little lower than sometimes we've set. And it gives us a much more realistic expectation. And what doesn't happen is when we find a contradiction in, in our history or the prophet gets up and says something and ten years later a new prophet gets up and says something different and you go, ah, that's not what happened? We just don't lose faith in all of it. Um, anyway, Some ideas.
1: So when you're kind of talking about this, it's kind of made me think a little bit about like what you're saying about how things change. It makes me think about at home, if my children ask, my wife and I, assuming that we represent prophets in our home, what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing? So you know, maybe for my wife, it's doing the squeegee thing when you get out of the shower. That's the most important thing you can do in the house. So when <laughs> <No>. <laughs> she's teaching doctrine to the hypothetically, kids, right. hypothetically, right. not that that would ever happen. <laughs> so they hear that over and over, and that every time she speaks, she speaks about that. Where maybe, to me, that's not a big thing. And I think we see that sometimes, even in the leaders in the church, where we're like, well, you know, other so-and-so said this, you know, so it's that's like the most important thing. Where maybe that's to him, actually, it's the most important right. thing. Where you know the other one may not actually consider it, you know, as critical. They just say, yeah, well, you know, you don't squeeze in the shower. We'll still go to heaven. You know, yeah. it still works. question yeah. um, um, please. Please. Along with that, too, hasn't
4: that happened to in our church with like the word of wisdom too? I think as a cultural sure. church,
0: prohibition was a huge factor on how we currently interpret the word of wisdom. Yeah, word of wisdom was a very loose rule. Brigham Young in 1852 made it a little bit more stringent. And then after Prohibition, I think it's, I don't know if it's George Albert Smith or who, but it's 1920s, late 1920s, the church reacts to Prohibition and the rules become much tighter. And for the first time, it is a test of faithfulness to enter the temple. Um, And so again, we like to think all these things happen in a vacuum, right? But the reality is that, right, Joseph doesn't get the word of wisdom in a vacuum, section 89, he didn't just walk in a room one day and go, you know what, guys? God just spoke to me. He said these cool things. No. Instead, Emma's badgering him a little bit about the disgustingness of all the men spitting on the floor, right? Um, the, we like to think that in the society of the time that these, nobody knew the ills of these things. That's not true. You can read some of the studies and, and articles that are written in that day and age that point to some of these things being bad. There were things that were pointed to be bad that actually turned out to be good. Things that were good turned out to be bad. The point is that Joseph went with a question, and God clarified it. And to this day, culture plays on all of that. And we we create rules and we create policies based on our present biases. Um, In the 1940s, George Albert Smith's first presidency and all the Quorum of the Twelve were unanimous in thinking that that those of color were less valued in the premortal life. And today the church says those are disavowed theories. So we have to kind of come to grips that this is, as Elder Uchtdorf says, the restoration is ongoing. We're still learning. We're still picking up things. And we're going to be wrong. 50 years from now, things that we're teaching today we're going to be wrong about and when we realize what the bar is we can handle that and it doesn't shake our world and just make our shelf fall down and that's the point why I did this I think I think when I pass all these quotes to begin with people, oh my goodness these are all controversial um, I hope you don't feel that way I'm trying to set a realistic expectation of what profits are let me finish with two quick thoughts and I'll get you guys we're like way past um, the, the quote I'll just let you guys read them. there's some really yeah. cool quotes yeah. In yeah. It. what's that show sure. um, the Elder Oaks quote which is on the second page Elder Oaks talks about what it means to be a special witness. Now, in my mind, I set up a bar that says a special witness is someone who has personally seen and talked to and, and shook hands and, and went to dinner with Jesus Christ, okay? That's the bar I set. What does Elder Oaks say? Let's read this. Somebody got that? What's that? Whoever.
4: He quotes D&C The 12 traveling counselors are called to be the 12 apostles, or special witnesses of the name of Christ in all the world and then says this is not to witness of a personal manifestation to witness of the name is to witness of the plan the work or mission such as the atonement and the authority or priesthood of the lord jesus christ which an apostle apostle who holds the keys is uniquely responsible to do of course apostles are also witnesses of christ just like all members of the
0: church who have the gift of the holy ghost that's what he lowers the bar he says, look, we haven't necessarily all seen Jesus Christ. Now the quote, I didn't include this, I should have. The very next sentence he says, this does not mean that none of us have. It just means that all of us as a group necessarily have. That lowers the bar a little bit. This is a lot messier. These guys are operating under the Holy Ghost the same way we're operating under the Holy Ghost, except their stewardship is bigger than ours. Does that give you a little bit more room to allow these guys to... To change things from time to time and have to correct things, and uh, it does for me. It does for me.
4: And I think, for the real, that right now it's very important that we think a little bit more open-minded because I just see a lot of my friends, a lot of people leaving the church, and because of teeny little technicalities. And and it's important for us to realize and teach our children that you know it's we're human. Um, Guide yourself by you know. Not by the little technicalities, because then you're going to trip
0: over a stupid little error. President Elder Ballard just gave a talk to the CES instructors on Friday night. You guys should go home and watch it. Go to lbs.org. It's right on the main page. Listen to the whole talk. He says the days are gone when we tell our kids simple stories. The days are gone when we pass on faith-promoting rumors and when we teach things that are not substantiated. He says it is time that we dig into our history, and we better understand the issues that are there. And and what I'm saying is the simple story will not work for your kids. It will not. These kids are googling everything, and they know they know the messiness of our church history long before you do. And so it's better just to be honest. I mean, you don't know the answer, just say I don't know. When I was serving as a bishop, I had what I would call a faith crisis. I was left the church, and I had to take my entire faith apart and put it back together. And I had to let go of. I had um, when I joined the church at 17, my father-in-law taught me my Mormonism. He taught me that the earth was 6,000 years old. Evolution was a heresy. Cain is Bigfoot. I mean, he went right down the list and taught me all that stuff. (laughs) And I laugh now, too. But when I woke up one day and said, none of this is true, it all came crashing down. The reality is, we don't know a lot of things. We don't have answers to every question. And we're better off just being honest about that. Now let me finish on this thought. The lesson finishes on the idea of following prophets. I can follow people without necessarily agreeing with everything they say or do. Brother Call, I like you. If you go somewhere, I'd follow you if you asked me to.
3: Okay?
0: But I bet if we sat down and hashed out all of our thoughts on the church, I probably don't agree with you on every point. But I'll still follow you. I would make the argument that when we're challenged to follow prophets, we're not challenged to uh, agree with them on every single thing. Um, I also don't think, as much as we say it and it's in our manuals, I don't think we'll be blessed for following a prophet when he's wrong if we know he's wrong. Uh, There's a quote in there also from the Millennial Star that speaks the opposite of that. And again, I don't throw out my truth as being true, only that it's one other alternative idea, perspective to think about. I would say that when we're in our life and we disagree from time to time with things, we can still follow, we can still sustain, we can still love the brethren. We can still lift them up at every chance we get. We can still pray for them. We can still listen to their counsel. We can still seek out the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost impresses us, we can still follow those men's teachings when a prophet is acting as such. And I bear testimony of that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.